Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, and that's where we're going to be for the next six, seven weeks, something like that. Uh, you think, boy, that's a long time to spend on, on those verses. Did you realize the most extensive thing ever written on this subject? I'm talking about verse 10 on down through verse 20. On those verses, a fellow by the name of William Gurnall, way back in 1655, he wrote a book on those verses. It was one volume book originally. Later on, they reduced it to three volumes, which I was privileged to have a set of those. I don't know whether Harvey took them away or whether I, they got lost in transit down when we moved down here 36 years ago. I, I, I don't know, but I, I don't have them now. But I know there was a time where every preacher in the country that I knew, everybody was looking for those messages. And uh, it's not light reading, by the way. There's 264 chapters in the book. 1,472 pages on these 11 verses. Here's the title. The saints war against the devil, wherein a discovery is made of that grand enemy of God and his people. In his policies, power, seat of his empire, wickedness, and chief design he hath against the saints. A magazine opened from whence the Christian is furnished with spiritual arms for the battle, helped on with his armor, and taught the use of his weapon together with the happy issue of the whole world, um, whole war. That's the title. Now obviously, remember this is in 1655 when he wrote that, so Whenever they decided that they were going to publish it, they shortened it, and the title now is, is simply called The Armor of God, or maybe some have The Whole Armor of God. And uh, you, you, you just imagine reading the whole book. I, well, I did. And there's... It's one of those subjects, and you've got to remember this was written in 1655, and, and the old English is not the same as the new English. You talk about some difficult reading. You read some of the writings of the old English authors and uh, Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you read Pilgrim's Progress? Was it the old, or, you know, the... The, the old, and yeah, was, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's... It's difficult. Well, this is a difficult subject. That's why I'm taking the time to say all of this. And we're going to be looking at the armor of God, each piece. We're going to have a week on each piece. But tonight, I want to speak to you about the armor of God in general. So verse 11, our text for tonight, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. Then he gives us the reason that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, whether you realize it or not, every Christian is involved in a spiritual warfare, every one of us. If you don't realize that, that means that you're losing. 
And it's not a matter, it's not a matter, you know, of if and when or where it might happen or anything. It's here and it's now. It's every day. And the only question is whether we're going to be victorious or whether we're going to be defeated. Across America, in churches, I could say around the world, I'm talking about churches that basically believe what we do. There are literally millions of people that are faithful in attendance every week, and yet at the same time, although they're in the service, might even read their Bible a little bit each day, people that are living a defeated life concerning what God would have them to do. And the Lord is telling us here that he's given us armor that we might be able to stand rather than to be run over in this warfare. So tonight I'm just going to focus on the general exhortation that he's given here in this. Now keep in mind, Paul is writing this while he's imprisoned at Rome. And you can just imagine the many different occasions he had to observe the Roman soldiers not that he enjoyed that, by the way. He didn't enjoy beatings and imprisonment and things of that nature, although he did learn to be content in those situations. But he has had the opportunity, I'm using that word intentionally, the opportunity to observe those soldiers. But it wasn't Paul's idea, I think I'll make a message out of this. It was the Holy Spirit that is directing him to write this letter to the church at Ephesus. And it's the Holy Spirit that puts it on his heart that I want you to use this as an illustration for the believers as to the warfare that they're engaged in. So notice the provision. The first thing you notice about it is that it is from God. Notice it says, of God. The armor of God. So you know it's coming from a good source and you know it's something that you can trust. And you also ought to know that man has absolutely nothing to offer that can protect us against Satan. Nothing. Zero. Regardless of what might be considered to be good advice, is just a blind leading the blind. One of the sad things today is that something that started several years ago now, the psychotherapy movement, to where supposedly, you know, you can come in, pay them a certain amount of money, and, they, and of course they have their self-help groups and their gurus who teach them, you know, how to deal with all of the issues of life, and they don't make any bones about it. They'll come right out and tell you that we've got the answers to how you can solve all of your emotional problems or whatever problem it is. And it's a shame and a disgrace for a child of God to depend upon unsafe psychiatrists or psychologists to depend upon them and never turn to their pastor, never look for spiritual counseling. Now, by the way, there are times that there are people, I understand some of the wheels are spinning. You're thinking, oh my... How dare you say that? Because after all, good counselors are, are important. Well, they certainly are, 
but, but not if they go across the grain of what the Bible says. And, and that's, what, that's exactly what the unsaved psychologists, psychiatrists, Christian counselors, so-called, that's exactly what a lot of them do. If you don't get anything else out of this message, I want you to remember this verse. Write it down if you can't remember it, but don't leave here without it. Second Peter, you don't have to turn there, but you may if you, if you want to. Second Peter 1, verse number 3. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness... Now, listen to this next part. Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. But listen to the next verse. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Did you get that? It says He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. If, if you're a child of God and you have a Bible in your hand, you've got all things that pertain unto life and godliness. All of these precious promises that God has given, and uh, you know, it makes me want to ask, do you really believe that? Well, if you believe John 3.16, you ought to believe that because if, if you can't believe this, you can't believe any part of the Bible whatsoever. And yet so many people are dependent upon so many other things other than just simply turning to the Word of God and depending upon God to do as He promised and depending upon, depending on His guidance in our life. So the provision is what? From God, right? But notice and this is a crucial point, it's for the Christian. This is a letter, an epistle to the church at Ephesus. Basically, it's of no great value to the person that is unsaved, the person that's never received Christ as their Savior. Tell them to, you need to put on the armor of God. You're living a corrupt, defiled life. You, you need the armor of God. They can't possibly put on the armor of God until they know Christ as their personal Savior. Until you become a Christian, there's no amount of arguments from your natural reasoning, your common sense, your humanistic ideas, psychology. None of that stuff is going to help you because the greatest need in your life is to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the only way you can have the Spirit of God living within you. That's the, what happens. I think it was the message maybe this morning uh, uh, or maybe the other night Brother Kenneth was talking about that and he made mention that without the Spirit of God, we're dead inside. All, all, all of us were that way by nature, folks. It's not that we went out and did something wrong and, and finally we fit into that category. No, we are that way by nature. I've been talking about Hoping that God let me live long enough to do several series. And uh, I'm talking about short series that I used to do during the day services and revival meetings, like from Egypt to Canaan, that was one. Philemon, that was uh, another series that I did over and over uh, in churches. But another series that I'd like to do is 
is who are you? Who are you? Somebody asked, well, who are you? Or you said, well, this, this is my name. Well, that's just your name. There's more to it than just thinking about our individual person, that we're just a, a body or that we don't understand the distinction between the body and the soul and the spirit. And, and if we don't know who we are, and as Christians, if we don't know what Christ has done, who we are as a result of what he has done, we're, we're going to lose the battle. The Bible, Bible tells us the natural man receiveth not the things of God. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. Neither can he know them. It's a, they're spiritually discerned. And that's the only way that we can really comprehend the great truths of the Bible and the things that would help us. So that's the source. But I want you to notice the purpose of the armor. He says here in our text, that ye may be able. I love that statement because believe me, without him, none of us are able. We're all miserable failures without him. We are enabled, why? Because God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. Because he is able, he enables us. And here he says that ye may be able to stand. Oh, so many fall by the wayside, make a profession of faith, get in church a little while, and then kaboom, they're, they're gone. Maybe born in a Christian family, you know. Mom and dad loved the Lord, and they make a profession of faith when they're a child, and then later on they go the way of the world. He says, that you may be able to stand, not cave in to the whims of the world, not, not go the other direction, but to stand Amen. against. Yeah. Some people got this idea that, that the Christian, you know, ought to be happy-go-lucky. I know exactly who Brother Kenneth was talking about this morning. He didn't call any names. So I'll respect that, and I won't call his name either, but he's not the only one. Those that... It's all about trying to impress people and say what they want to hear. Have your best life now. Don't mention any sin. Don't do any of those things. Now notice, he says, if we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, this is the purpose of the armor, regardless of what particular piece of armor we're talking about. This is the purpose of it. It's for protection. And regardless of how long you've been saved or how knowledgeable you are, you're not exempt from falling. None of us. It could happen to me. It could happen to Brother Kenneth. It could happen to absolutely anyone here. And as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Boy, the quickest way to fall is through the pride of thinking that we can't. Oh, it happened to so-and-so, but it never happened to me. Now, we may be able to stand against what the wiles, that is the craft, the, the deceit of the devil. And believe me, the devil is, he's not only deceitful, he is defiled himself and he is determined 
And when I say determined, I'm talking about him being determined that he wants to destroy you and everything good about you. He wants to destroy you and every opportunity that God has ever given you. And our only, our only means of winning the victory over Satan is what? The armor of God. This is why it's given. This is the purpose. And then he mentions, notice the positions of the armor. He says, put on what? The whole armor of God. And that one statement tells us that every piece is absolutely essential. Every soldier would tell you every piece of armor, every piece of their equipment is important. If it's not important, they wouldn't be carrying it. They don't need that additional weight. So he says, put on the whole armor of God. Notice that he says that the loins are strengthened by the girdle, which is a belt, by the way, for you kids that might not understand it was a girdle. We'll talk about that. Tells us the vital organs are protected by what? The breastplate of righteousness and the feet shod here. Notice to give you a firm footing. There's a shield to ward off those fiery darts, the arrows of destruction. There's the helmet that protects the head. There's the sword that gives us an offensive weapon, by the way. The sword can be used for offense and defense. And as you probably already know, that's the Word of God. You know, if we just, and this is one of the major problems that we sometimes have, and that is becoming unbalanced. Preachers are have a tendency to do that. Theologians tend to do that. They get so focused on one part of the Bible that they neglect all of the rest of the Bible. We Christians sometimes think, boy, if I excel at this particular thing, it's okay if I fail at the other. And the truth is, we're to preach the, what? The whole Word of God, all of the Word of God. Contrary to what Andy Stanley, as Charles Stanley's son says, you know, preachers shouldn't ever preach out of the Old Testament. You don't need the Old Testament. Uh, it's hard for me to, to believe what I hear out of some so-called preachers. We need the whole of the Word of God and everything in it is important. And I keep in mind that whenever Paul is writing this to this church and you go back and remember whenever he met with the elders from this church, this is just before he's going to Jerusalem and he was reminding them of what he had declared to them. In other words, I'm going away. They said, don't go when when you get there, they're going to beat you. You're going to be in trouble. Don't, don't go. They're begging him to not go, and the Spirit of God is telling him, you go anyway. And so he gives them this reminder. He said, uh, he told them that he had declared unto them all of the counsel of God. And now he's telling these same people here, put on the whole armor of God. You see, if you neglect any one area there, that's the area that Satan is going to attack. He's a master at exploiting our weaknesses. And by the way, sometimes our biggest weakness is in the area of our greatest strength in another way. Because we don't look there. We, 
you look back through the Bible, and there's Abraham, that great man of faith, the father of the, the, the faith. Man, how, how would a man like that ever fail? Unbelief. He turned around and doubted God, and, and you look at every major failure in the Bible, and it's some way related to an area that the person was supposedly really strong in. And that can happen to us. And for us to look at the pieces of armor that he mentions here and to think, well, you got your checklist and I'm good there and I'm good there and I'm good there. You're not good anywhere if you're not good everywhere when it comes to this armor because you need every piece that he mentions. That brings us down to the placement of the armor. Notice the very first words in the text. Put on. Put on. That denotes responsibility. He's not telling us now, if you'd like to do this, you can live a better life than usual. If you'll do this, I'm going to give you some good advice. No, that's not what he's saying. He says, put on. And so we must not suppose, you know, that, that our efforts aren't necessary. You know, there are people that believe that, that it's not about us doing anything Years ago, in fact, it's been going on 100, and if I'm not mistaken, 175 years, I think it is, the Keswick Convention. Some of you heard me talk about that, where they meet in, in Keswick in England, and all of these so-called really spiritual giants, the theologians, and all go there. And by the way, there are some men whose names that you would know, and people that, that have written a lot of really good books that go there, but the whole thrust of their, of their ministry is to convince people of this fact, and that is that God doesn't need your help. All you need to do is trust God, obey God, and it's not something that you can do. And then I read this, and it, it says, put on. God doesn't say a word about it. He didn't say, I'm putting this on you. And believe me, when we get over some pieces of this armor, it's going to really, this is going to really come into play. One of the Christian classics, this is a Christian classic, just you know, about every, every preacher of my generation had read the book by Hannah Whittall Smith. And she wrote a book that in some ways is amazing and really good, but she sums up the philosophy of the Keswick convention. It goes against the very grain of what the Bible actually teaches. Their philosophy is let go and let God. Don't struggle, surrender. Be willing to be made willing. And it goes on, just turn it all over to God and let Him do it. Now that sounds really spiritual. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us we're to be active, not passive. We don't just sit back and let God. That's why I've said, no telling how many thousand times, God feeds the sparrow, but he doesn't throw the worm in the nest. He expects something from us. 
And there are several exhortations. I'm going to just sum it up in three areas. That there are things to be put off. Look in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Verse 21. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now look at the next verse. That ye put off concerning the former conversation. That is your old manner of life. Your old behavior. You put that off which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So there are things to be put off, right? That's what he says. But then look in verse 24 of chapter 4, there are things to be put on. He says that ye may, that ye may put on the new man, which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we put something off and we put something on, and then over 2 Timothy chapter 4, he tells us there are things to be put away. He says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. In other words, there are things that have to be put away, put aside. No man that warreth gets entangled with the affairs of this life. And there's so many times that people will get so caught up in something that's in and of itself not sinful. And yet they allow a sinless thing to become sinful because it's keeping them from doing what God would have them to do. It might be a hobby. It might be some particular sport or whatever it is, but it just occupies their time and their interest to the point that they neglect what they should do. And it ought to be obvious that the victory requires God's power, but our activity. We're not able, but since God is, He can enable us. The thing is, unless we do what we ought to do, we can't expect God to do what we can't do. And that's what a lot of folks do. Well, you know, if the Lord wanted me to be different, He, 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 he could change me. He could make it make it the way it ought to be then and try to put all of the blame on God if you're making no effort you can't blame God Amen. and yet there are people literally that are bitter toward God because their life is a mess it's not the way they want it to be it's not the way that it ought to be and they think well they're just going through bad luck or something but it's just sure not fair they make no effort whatsoever. Remember, He has given us all things, right, pertaining to life and godliness. We have everything we need, and we can't just sit back and say, Lord, thank you for what you've given us. A lot of folks have the idea, I've tried to put myself in the place of those disciples whenever the Lord ascended back into heaven. He told them, He said, I'm going to go away. Now they're in, remember, in the upper room, John chapter 13 through chapter 17, they're in the upper room. The Lord is sharing with them. They really didn't get the picture even then. But whenever the Lord tells them, I'm going away, but, and they're thinking, boy, if he, if he goes away like that, we're going to be so terribly deprived. We have followed him for wise counsel. We've followed him to get the, 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 our needs supplied. What are we going to do? 
He's going back to the Father. We have forsaken everything we've got to follow him, and now look where it's got us. He's going back to heaven. But he said, I'll send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, we are not shortchanged in any way whatsoever that the Holy Spirit is here and the Lord is with the Father. I want you to think that through. What is he doing? He's making intercession for us. Seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And meanwhile, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead, is living in each and every child of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that's the Spirit of God. It conforms us to the Son of God. Transforms us from glory to glory to glory. He's enabling those who are willing. And when he says, put on the armor of God, that's our part. There's something that we have to do, initiative that we have to take, an action that we have to do. One writer said it like this. He said, God does the work of God. Man does the work of man. God cannot do the work of God. And God will not do the work of man. That's a pretty good way to look at it. Oh, God could do whatever he wanted to. God could make, could make you, force you to go out here on a street corner proclaiming the gospel. He can make you do that. He could, he could enable a woodpecker to get out on the telephone pole and to type it out in Morse code if he wanted to. He didn't do that. But God expects us to do certain things. And when we do what we can, we can depend upon Him to do the rest. I don't, I don't think, probably none of us really understand just how deprived we are when we are out of fellowship with the Lord, when we're not depending upon the Lord. How desperately we need the Lord. We, we forget that so many times. And it's only as we put on the armor of God before we're deceived by all the philosophies of Satan or distracted by the pursuit of things and on and on, disturbed by the wrong things in life or whatever it might be, we're just, we're just not wholeheartedly committed unto the Lord. The Bible says, be ye, there you go again, there's a responsibility put on our shoulders, be ye what? Filled with the Spirit. He's talking about being under the control of the Spirit. By the way, that same city of Ephesus, the Bible says it was filled with confusion. It's talking about a time of turmoil in the city. And it's that same word that is used there when it speaks about being filled with the Spirit. It's something that they had lost control. A mob was in control of things there. And he's writing to them, saying to the saints at Ephesus, Be ye filled with the Spirit, because he's the one that enables you to do what needs to be done. And I hope and I pray that whenever we've looked at, I hope before we've even 
finished our study on this, but I hope it can be said of each and every one of us, as Paul said, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Now that's where he was in life. I'm ready. I'm ready to be offered up. Time of my departure is at hand. In other words, I'm shipping out, ready to go. But here, listen to what he says. I have fought a good fight, and I've kept the faith. Was it worth it, Paul? Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me. And say that he might. He shall give me at that day. Now here's the good news. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Oh, listen, that's, I hope and pray that's true of every person here. That we can so live, but understand that we are in a spiritual warfare. We are in a fight, and the devil is not going to give up. He's not going to give in, even though he has already been defeated. He's already been defeated. Understand that. We'll talk about that some other time. He's already been defeated, but in the divine providence of God and his great wisdom... God is going to bring his kingdom to this earth. And until then, you and I are to what? To stand. I've read so many things this week that makes me, makes me think about how bad our nation needs to be changed. Terrible, terrible things that are happening, going on, that are just becoming acceptable if I had time I would read you an, an, an article I read just yesterday it was amazing comes right out and says we're after your kids we are after your kids and it's scary when you have a president that says those are our kids and the president is promoting the policy of the people that says, we're after your kids. Let me tell you, we are in a battle. And you and I are not going to be able to change the direction of this world. It is what it is. And the Bible says, evil men and seducers shall what? Wax worse and worse. It's going to keep getting worse. That doesn't mean that you and I have to fail. We've got a job to do. We have a mission that God has given us. And that mission is to do our best to make disciples who make disciples. That we tell others about Jesus and see them saved and help them get grounded in the faith in God's word and see them actively involved in the Lord's service. That, that, that's the mission for every single one of us kids. When you go off to school as a Christian young person, that ought to be your mission to in some way help your classmates come to know Jesus as their Savior. It might just be inviting them to church. That's a good starting point right there. Don't march into that classroom with a know-it-all attitude and be disrespectful toward your teacher trying to get up there and... Uh, Criticize everything that the public school stands for. 
It's not going to do any good for you to go in there and start lecturing about politics. My mom and dad voted for so-and-so, and, -so and, and you, that's the way your parents ought to vote. Keep all that out of it. They need to know about Jesus. It's not the Republicans. It's not the Democrats. It's Jesus, the only one that's got what they need, the only one that can help them. We can't change the direction of the world, but as individuals, we can win in this struggle that we're up against. And I hope you'll, I hope you'll be here, uh, Lord willing, uh, each Sunday morning as we look at each piece of the armor and see how it applies to our lives. Let's all bow in prayer. Father, I pray that you'll open up our hearts and enlighten our minds and help us to see the horrible condition that we're in when we don't depend upon you. Help us to realize, Lord, how the dangerous position our children are in if we ignore you. Our marriages and every avenue of our life is in jeopardy when we're not prepared for the onslaught of Satan coming against us. And God help us to be obedient to your word in everything in life. Fill us with your spirit and help us be a reflection of the greatness of the love of Christ as we contact other people, as we interact with them wherever we are. May they in some way see Jesus in us, for we pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to have a verse of invitation. I don't know what God might be speaking to your heart about tonight, but it might be something that hasn't even been mentioned in the message. It has nothing to do whatsoever with anything I've said tonight. It might be that you were here this morning and heard the message about your need of trusting Christ as Savior, and you need to do something about that. Don't, don't walk out of here again and leave this property without knowing Christ as your Savior. It might be that you're just in a desperate situation and you just want to pray for somebody you love is really down and out and desperate and you want to commit yourself to praying for them. As we sing page number 